Hello, wonderful people. How's it going? How's everybody doing today? Um, I'm seeing some. I'm seeing some very, very encouraging uh, concerns about my my health, my well-being, as you may hear in my voice. Uh, I'm I'm not going to call myself better. Unfortunately, not yet. Uh, fortunately, I do feel a lot better, so I am I'm operating at at uh, uh, full capacity. Not so much at full ability, because as you can hear, my voice is still a little rough. It's okay. Um, I decided not to do Gatsby this week, because there are a total of, I think, nine chapters in Great Gatsby, and I didn't want one of them to permanently be all gammy like this. Um, with Harry Potter, mm, there's a lot. I want to keep my streak going in a way. There has never been this much noise outside of my window. Not one time. So, if you guys hear just the McDonald's play place of noise that's going on outside my window, uh, good luck. I do hope it will eventually abate. That'd be fantastic. How's it going? Savannah, hello. General, I did try to get at you this week uh, on, your, on your discussions page. Ash, hello. Michelle? Uh, yes, Ash is correct. Thank you for the well wishes, by the way, everyone. Um, but... Uh, I did indeed have a sore throat. The the soreness is better now, but uh, I'm still feeling weird. I'm still I'm still I'm, I still sound weird. I should say. Um, Lynn says actually made it this week. I totally miscalculated the time difference last week. Welcome, Lynn's. Your your comments on the some of the videos in the past have been pretty entertaining. I'm glad you're here. Let's see. Emily, Abigail, hello. Rachel Grindstaff, which Grindstaff is maybe the best name for like a dwarf wizard you could ever have. Um, or maybe even a gnome wizard. I like that a lot. OMG, this is my first time catching you live. So excited. Welcome. You're here just in time for the finale. This is the finale of uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So this is, this is pretty good timing. You get to see the very, the very last bits of it. And then we move into book five. I love book five. Okay. Um, Ashlyn, how's it going? Jeff, I'm feeling a little better. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for uh, thank you for your comments as well, Jeff. Um, appreciate you know you sharing some of your wisdom. Ash says, "When I have a bad when I have a bad throat, I sound like Minnie Mouse." <laughs> there are more. I guess there are more unfortunate things you can sound like. My voice gets a little deeper, raspier, and. Uh, well, you can hear it. You know exactly what my voice sounds like. Ashlyn says, Gah, missed a couple of streams and I'm sorry about it. Lol. It's all right. Don't worry about it. We're, gonna be, we're, we're doing it today. You've got the, the back episodes to catch up on. You're all good. And uh, Rachel says, I'm 5'2", so I'm halfway to a gnome. <laughs> all right. I believe that puts me at exactly a foot taller than you are. General, there's also the link to the Discord in the description, and so if you want to jump on there, we can PM about it. Lynn says, totally listening to this and watching the Patriots play at the same time. Interesting. Multitasking at its best. Fantastic. Wunderbar. All right. So, y'all y'all are here. Y'all know how this works. I feel like uh, when, when people show up. At this point, at this point, I've got a decent track record for what this is and what it is that I do. Now, last week... We read three chapters. 
because I needed it to work out math-wise for this week. Um, last week, our three chapters brought us through Harry's travails after the third task. Um, he meets Voldemort. Wormtail conjures Voldemort up out of a, a horrific potion. <laughs> Rachel says, way to rub it in, Hagrid. 6'2". Six 6'2", six, six Hagrid height. I don't remember how, how tall it says Hagrid is. It just says he dwarfs everyone. Anyway. Um, Harry encounters Voldemort. Um, Voldemort monologues for, boy, a long time. Uh, most of that chapter, if you guys remember, I got a bit lightheaded doing his very breathy, quote, high, cold voice. Um... And my mouth got all weird, as it does when I get when I inhale too much. Uh, nevertheless, we learn a lot. We learn a lot about what Voldemort has been doing. Um, you know, in in books one and two, we got an idea of um, you know what what he what his aims are, what his powers are. Um, in book three, we got an even better idea. But altogether, we haven't been. We haven't been on the inside. We haven't seen him. And what he's been doing in the times between he encounter between his encounters with Harry Potter. Um, in this book, you know, we start with him on his own. We we don't we're not with Harry for that very first chapter of this book. Um, we see a muggle and we see him encountering Voldemort, but we're starting to get insight into what Voldemort is doing, what his plans are, what his intents are, and why he was at low power for such a long time. And it's apparently because um, his ability to... He, he was essentially, at, at, at the beginning, when he first tried to kill Harry and, and failed, his soul was kind of ripped from his body, and his only magical ability was to possess creatures. And he had to start really small. And he fled. His spirit fled um, out into the wilderness. And he sort of tried to work his way up. Tried to work with bigger and bigger creatures. But he was stuck. He needed help. Especially after... Um, after... Uh, bop, bop, bop. After uh, Professor Quirrell... Um, uh, Harry defeated Professor Quirrell and separated Voldemort from a living host once again. So he was lost out in the wilderness. He had to wait until Wormtail showed up. That makes a big deal out of the fact that Wormtail didn't show up out of loyalty, but out of fear for Voldemort's former supporters. Um, now, at the end of this whole conversation, Voldemort confronts his, his followers. He says they are disloyal and that uh, those who were actually loyal to him, the ones who never who never denied him, who never claimed that they were manipulated or claimed that they were under the Imperius curse, the ones who went to Azkaban for him, those are his most loyal servants. Not only that, but he has a loyal servant at Hogwarts doing his bidding. Now, you, I'm sure we all speculated at that point who it was. It turns out that the man that we have known as... Alistair Moody, Mad-Eye Moody, is no such individual. It's Barty Crouch Jr. Now we learn what's been going on there as well, because, um, as you know, somebody has had some serious influence at Hogwarts for quite some time now, and it is Barty Crouch Jr., a loyal follower of Voldemort. Um, 
Bartimaeus Crouch's son, obviously, uh, who Bartimaeus Crouch Sr. sent to Azkaban, uh, but he broke out, and turns out he had been living with his father for quite some time. Uh, it explains how Harry's wand disappeared at the Quidditch World Cup. It explains why Winky was in such a suspicious state uh, on that night, and why Bartimaeus Crouch Sr. reacted so strongly when he found out uh, about her, her errors. Turns out she was supposed to be keeping an eye on him. He was imperious, um, and he was under an invisibility cloak for most of his life outside of home. Uh, Bertha Jorkins, the disappearance at the beginning, we realize is due to none other than her. Uh, she, she wandered in on uh, the Crouch household, found out about their secret that Barty Crouch Jr. has been out of Azkaban. Um, Barty Crouch Sr. puts a memory spell on her and eventually she takes a little trip. Wormtail encounters her and brings her to Voldemort and through that, uh, through the interrogation that she subsequently endures, Voldemort breaks the memory charm, finds out about Bartimaeus Crouch Jr., finds out all sorts of information about the Triwizard Cup and is able to form this plan to get Harry. Now at the very end, Harry returns, of course. Um, you know, we see we see uh, a lot that's happened um, uh, between Harry and Voldemort as they have this this mighty battle between one another, a wizard's duel, um, so that Voldemort can prove to his followers that there is no special power residing in Harry. Uh, but Harry's slightly too quick, and he gets help from this strange occurrence with his wand and Voldemort's, which we're going to learn more about in the coming chapter. But now, as, as he's gotten back, he hasn't really had time to rest and, and process what's happened to him because of the uh, Bartimaeus Crouch Jr. discovery. So, that's where we're going to start. I appreciate you all joining me here. By the way, we just passed 500. There are 500 of us loving this, doing this thing. That's pretty cool, right? I'm excited about it. Um, of course, that means beans. Of course it means beans. Um, and I believe I have just enough in here. Let's see. Um, Drew Thrash, how's it going? Says, I've been listening for a while. Glad I finally caught a live show. Welcome. Uh, Jim Bauer, welcome to you as well. You did not miss anything yet. We're just going through the review. Um, and then we're about to get started. Ducks. <laughs> Always wondered why Voldemort calls Wormtail Wormtail. Because I just assumed that was a nickname only used amongst the Marauders. That's an interesting question. That is interesting, isn't it? Um, I think, you know, he makes some commentary, Voldemort does, about Wormtail. Uh, I think uh, it's some combination of, you know, trying to strip him of his past. You know, if you call him by his name, then he has a connection to his past. I guess, you know, Wormtail was also a name from his past. Here's my overarching theory. He makes some commentary about Wormtail and his affinity for rats and how they're vile creatures. I don't remember exactly the words he used, but I think it's an effort to remind him how lowly he is and how disgusting he's finding him. I think we're probably ready to get going, aren't we? So, 
For anybody who doesn't know who this is, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And this is the finale of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. As usual, if you've got anything you want to talk about, throw it in chat. I'll come back to it the moment I'm able. Chapter 36 The Parting of the Ways Dumbledore stood up. He stared down at Barty Crouch for a moment with disgust on his face. Then he raised his wand once more and ropes flew out of it, ropes that twisted themselves around Barty Crouch, binding him tightly. He turned to Professor McGonagall. Minerva, could I ask you to stand guard here while I take Harry upstairs? Of course, said Professor McGonagall. She looked slightly nauseous, as though she had just watched someone being sick. However, when she drew out her wand and pointed it at Barty Crouch, her wand was quite steady. Severus, Dumbledore turned to Snape, please tell Madame Pomfrey to come down here. We need to get Alistair Moody into the hospital wing. Then go down into the grounds, find Cornelius Fudge, and bring him up to this office. He will undoubtedly want to question Crouch himself. Tell him I will be in the hospital wing in half an hour's time, if he needs me. Snape nodded silently and swept out of the room. Harry, Dumbledore said gently. Harry got up and swayed again. The pain in his leg, which he had not noticed all the time he had been listening to Crouch, now returned in full measure. He also realized he was shaking. Dumbledore gripped his arm and helped him out into the dark corridor. I want you to come up to my office first, Harry, he said quietly as they headed up the passageway. Sirius is waiting for us there. Harry nodded. A kind of numbness and a sense of complete unreality were upon him, but he didn't care. He was even glad of it. He didn't want to have to think about anything that had happened since he had first touched the Triwizard Cup. He didn't want to have to examine the memories, fresh and sharp as photographs, which kept flashing across his mind. Mad-Eye Moody inside the trunk. Wormtail slumped on the ground, cradling his stump of an arm. Voldemort rising from the steaming cauldron. Cedric dead. Cedric asking to be returned to his parents. Professor, Harry mumbled, where are Mr. and Mrs. Diggory? They are with Professor Sprout, said Dumbledore. His voice, which had been so calm throughout the interrogation of Barty Crouch, shook very slightly for the first time. She was head of Cedric's house, and she knew him best. They had reached the stone gargoyle. Dumbledore gave the password. It sprang aside, and he and Harry went up the moving spiral staircase to the oak door. Dumbledore pushed it open. Sirius was standing there. His face was white and gaunt as it had been when he had escaped Azkaban. In one swift movement, he had crossed the room. Harry, are you all right? I knew it. I knew something like this. What happened? His hands shook as he helped Harry into a chair in front of the desk. What happened? 
he asked more urgently. Dumbledore began to tell Sirius everything Barty Crouch had said. Harry was only half listening. So tired. Every bone in his body was aching. He wanted nothing more than to sit here undisturbed for hours and hours until he fell asleep and didn't have to think or feel anymore. There was a soft rush of wings. Fox the Phoenix had landed on Harry's knee. Hello, Fox, said Harry quietly. He stroked the phoenix's beautiful silver, beautiful scarlet and gold plumage. Fox blinked peacefully up at him. There was something comforting about his warm weight. Dumbledore stopped talking. He sat down opposite Harry, behind his desk. He was looking at Harry, who avoided his eyes. Dumbledore was going to question him. He was going to make Harry relive everything. I need to know what happened after you touched the portkey in the maze, Harry, said Dumbledore. We can't leave... We can leave that till morning, can't we, Dumbledore? said Sirius harshly. He had put a hand on Harry's shoulder. Let him have a sleep. Let him rest. Harry felt a rush of gratitude toward Sirius, but Dumbledore took no notice of Sirius's words. He leaned forward toward Harry. Very unwilling, Harry raised his head and looked into those blue eyes. If I thought I could help you, Dumbledore said gently, by putting you into an enchanted sleep and allowing you to postpone the moment when you would have to think about what has happened tonight, I would do it. But I know better. Numbing the pain for a while will make it worse when you finally feel it. You have shown bravery beyond anything I could have expected of you. I ask you to demonstrate your courage one more time. I ask you to tell us what happened. The phoenix let out one soft, quivering note. It shivered in the air, and Harry felt as though a drop of hot liquid had slipped down his throat into his stomach, warming him and strengthening him. He took a deep breath and began to tell them. As he spoke, visions of everything that had passed that night seemed to rise before his eyes. He saw the sparkling surface of the potion that had revived Voldemort. He saw the Death Eaters apparating around the graves around them. He saw Cedric's body lying on the ground beside the cup. Once or twice, Sirius made a noise as though about to say something, his hand still tight on Harry's shoulder, but Dumbledore raised his hand to stop him. And Harry was glad of this, because it was easier to keep going now that he had started. It was even a relief. He felt almost as though something poisonous were being extracted from him. It was costing him every bit of determination he had to keep talking. Yet he sensed that once he had finished, he would feel better. When Harry told of Wormtail piercing his arm with the dagger, however, Sirius let out a vehement exclamation, and Dumbledore stood up so quickly that Harry started. Dumbledore walked around the desk and told Harry to stretch out his arm. Harry showed them both the place where his robes were torn, and the cut beneath them. 
he said, my blood would make him stronger than if he'd used somebody else's, Harry told Dumbledore. He said the protection that my my mother left in me, he'd have it too. And he was right. He could touch me without hurting himself. He touched my face. For a fleeting instant, Harry saw a gleam of something like triumph in Dumbledore's eyes. But next second, Harry was sure he had imagined it, for when Dumbledore had returned to his seat behind the desk, he looked as old and weary as Harry had ever seen him. Very well, he said, sitting down again. Voldemort has overcome that particular barrier. Harry, continue, please. Harry went on. He explained how Voldemort had emerged from the cauldron, and told them all he could remember of Voldemort's speech to the Death Eaters. Then he told how Voldemort had untied him, returned his wand to him, and prepared to duel. But when he reached the part where the golden beam of light had connected his and Voldemort's wands, he found his throat obstructed. He tried to keep talking, but the memories of what had come out of Voldemort's wand were flooding into his mind. He could see Cedric emerging, see the old man, Bertha Jorkins, his father, his mother. He was glad when Sirius broke the silence. The wands connected, he said, looking from Harry to Dumbledore. Why? Harry looked up at Dumbledore again, on whose face there was an arrested look. Priori incantatum, he muttered. His eyes gazed into Harry's, and it was almost as though an invisible beam of understanding shot between them. The reverse spell effect, said Sirius sharply. Exactly, said Dumbledore. Harry's wand and Voldemort's wand share cause. Each of them contains a feather from the tail of the same phoenix. This phoenix, in fact, he added, and he pointed at the scarlet and gold bird, perching peacefully on Harry's knee. My wand's feather came from Fawkes, Harry said, amazed. Yes, said Dumbledore. Mr. Ollivander wrote to tell me that you had bought the second wand the moment you left his shop four years ago. So what happens when a wand meets its brother? said Sirius. They will not work properly against each other, said Dumbledore. If, however, the owners of the wands force the wands to do battle, a very rare effect will take place. One of the wands will force the other to regurgitate spells it has performed in reverse. The most recent first, and then those which preceded it. He looked interrogatively at Harry, and Harry nodded. Which means, said Dumbledore slowly, his eyes upon Harry's face, that some form of Cedric must have reappeared. Harry nodded again. Diggory came back to life, said Sirius sharply. No spell can reawaken the dead, said Dumbledore heavily. All that would have happened is a kind of reverse echo. A shadow of the living Cedric would have emerged from the wand, am I correct, Harry? He spoke to me, Harry said. 
He was suddenly shaking again. The... The ghost, Cedric, or whatever it was, he spoke. An echo, said Dumbledore, which retained Cedric's appearance and character. I'm guessing other such forms appeared. Less recent victims of Voldemort's wand. An old man, Harry said, his throat still constricted. Bertha Jorkins, and... Your parents, said Dumbledore quietly. Yes, said Harry. Sirius's grip on Harry's shoulder was now so tight it was painful. The last murders that the wand performed, said Dumbledore, nodding. In reverse order. More would have appeared, of course, had you maintained the connection. Very well, Harry, these echoes, these shadows, what did they do? Harry described how the figures that had emerged from the wand had prowled at the edges of the golden web, how Voldemort had seemed to fear them, how the shadow of Harry's father had told him what to do, how Cedric's had made its final request. At this point, Harry found he could not continue. He looked around at Sirius and saw that he had his face in his hands. Harry suddenly became aware that Fox had left his knee. The phoenix had fluttered to the floor. It was resting its beautiful head against Harry's injured leg, and thick, pearly tears were falling from its eyes onto the wound left by the spider. The pain vanished. The skin mended. His leg was repaired. I will say it again, said Dumbledore as the phoenix rose into the air and resettled itself upon the perch beside the door. You have shown bravery beyond anything I could have expected of you tonight, Harry. You have shown bravery equal to those who died fighting Voldemort at the height of his powers. You have shouldered a grown wizard's burden and found yourself equal to it. And you have now given us all that we have a right to expect. You will come with me to the hospital wing. I do not want you returning to the dormitory tonight. A sleeping potion and some peace. Sirius, would you like to stay with him? When Dumbledore pushed open the door, Harry saw Mrs. Weasley, Bill, Ron, and Hermione grouped around a harassed-looking Madame Pomfrey. They appeared to be demanding to know where Harry was and what had happened to him. All of them whipped around as Harry, Dumbledore, and the black dog entered, and Mrs. Weasley let out a kind of muffled scream. Oh, Harry! Harry! She started to hurry toward him, but Dumbledore moved between them. Molly, he said, holding up a hand. Please listen to me for a moment. Harry has been through a terrible ordeal tonight. He has just had to relive it for me. What he needs now is sleep and peace and quiet. If you would like you all to stay with him, he added, looking around at Ron, Hermione, and Bill, too. You may do so, but I do not want you questioning him until he is ready to answer, and certainly not this evening. Mrs. Weasley nodded. She was very white. She rounded on Ron, Hermione, and Bill as though they were being noisy and hissed. Do you hear? He needs quiet. Headmaster? 
said Madame Pomfrey, staring at the great black dog that was serious. May I ask what? This dog will be remaining with Harry for a while, said Dumbledore simply. I assure you, he is extremely well trained. Harry, I will wait while you get into bed. Harry felt an inexpressible sense of gratitude to Dumbledore for asking the others not to question him. It wasn't as though he didn't want them to be there, but the thought of explaining it all over again, the idea of reliving it one more time, was more than he could stand. I will be back to see you as soon as I have met with Fudge, Harry, said Dumbledore. I would like you to remain here until tomorrow, till I have spoken to the school. He left. As Madame Pomfrey led Harry to a nearby bed, he caught sight of the real Moody lying motionless in a bed at the far end of the room. His wooden leg and magical eye were lying on the bedside table. Is he okay? Harry asked. He'll be fine, said Madame Pomfrey, giving Harry some pajamas and pulling screens around him. He took off his robes, pulled on the pajamas, and got into bed. Ron, Hermione, Bill, Mrs. Weasley, and the black dog came around the screen and settled themselves in chairs on either side of him. Harry and Hermione were looking at him almost cautiously, as though scared of him. I'm all right, he told them. Just tired. Mrs. Weasley's eyes filled with tears as she smoothed his bed covers unnecessarily. Madame Pomfrey, who had bustled off to her office, returned holding a small bottle of some purple potion and a goblet. You need to drink all of this, Harry, she said. It is a potion for dreamless sleep. Harry took the goblet and drank a few mouthfuls. He felt himself becoming drowsy at once. Everything around him became hazy. The lamps around the hospital wings seemed to be winking at him in a friendly way through the screen around his bed. His body felt as though it were sinking deeper into the warmth of the feather mattress. Before he could finish the potion, before he could say another word, his exhaustion had carried him off to sleep. How's it going, chat? <laughs> Ash has indeed been working on some, some art for our upcoming chapters. You'll have to wait a minute for them, but they're coming. Uh, Emily, uh, Ash has, uh, Ash and Ducks have uh, explained that properly. Just a little, I don't know, just a little fun thing to look for. I was, I was debating a long time ago, like, if I'm going to have a visual element to this, what what sort of goofy stuff could I pull off? What what would make it worth it to do the visual element and not just do this like, um, you know, like a podcast? And uh, so I hide at least one donut in every chapter. Harry woke up. So warm, so very sleepy. He didn't want to open his eyes, wanting to drop off again. The room was still dimly lit. He was sure it was still nighttime and had a feeling he couldn't have slept very long. Then he heard whispering around him. They wake him up if they don't shut up. What are they shouting about? Nothing else can have happened, can it? Harry opened his eyes blearily. 
someone had removed his glasses. He could see the fuzzy outlines of Mrs. Weasley and Bill close by. Mrs. Weasley was on her feet. That's Fudge's voice, she whispered. And that's Minerva McGonagall's, isn't it? But what are they arguing about? Now Harry could hear them too. People shouting and running toward the hospital wing. Regrettable, but all the same, Minerva, Cornelius Fudge was saying loudly. You should never have brought it inside the castle, yelled Professor McGonagall. When Dumbledore finds out... Harry heard the hospital wing doors burst open. Unnoticed by any of the people around his bed, all of whom were staring at the door as Bill pulled back the screens, Harry sat up and put his glasses back on. Fudge came striding up the ward. Professors McGonagall and Snape were at his heels. Uh, where is Dumbledore? Fudge demanded of Mrs. Weasley. He's not here, said Mrs. Weasley angrily. This is a hospital wing, Minister. Don't you think you'd do better to... But the door opened again, and Dumbledore came sweeping up the ward. What has happened? said Dumbledore sharply, looking from Fudge to Professor McGonagall. Why are you disturbing these people? Minerva, I am surprised at you. I asked you to stand guard over Barty Crouch. There's no need to stand guard over him anymore, Dumbledore, she shrieked. The minister has seen to that. Harry had never seen Professor McGonagall lose control like this. There were angry blotches of color on her cheeks, and her hands were balled into fists. She was trembling with fury. When we told Mr. Fudge that we had caught the Death Eater responsible for tonight's events, said Snape in a low voice, he seemed to feel his personal safety was in question. He insisted on summoning a Dementor to accompany him into the castle. He brought it up to the office where Barty Crouch... I told him that you would not agree, Dumbledore! Professor McGonagall fumed. I told him you would never allow Dementors to set foot inside the castle, but... My, my dear woman, roared Fudge, who likewise looked angrier than Harry had ever seen him. As Minister of Magic, it, it is my decision whether I wish to... Bring protection with me when interviewing a, a possibly dangerous... But Professor McGonagall's voice drowned Fudge's. The moment that, that thing entered the room, she screamed, pointing at Fudge, trembling all over. It swooped down on Crouch and... and... Harry felt a chill inside his stomach as Professor McGonagall struggled to find words to describe what had happened. He did not need to hear her finish the sentence. He knew what the Dementor must have done. It had administered its fatal kiss to Barty Crouch. It had sucked out his soul through his mouth. He was worse than dead. By, by all accounts, he is no loss, blustered Fudge. It seems he has been responsible for several deaths. But he cannot now give testimony, Cornelius, said Dumbledore. He was staring at Fudge hard, as though seeing him plainly for the first time. He cannot give evidence as to why he killed those people. Why he killed them? That's no mystery, is it? Blustered Fudge. He was a raving lunatic. From what Minerva and Severus have told me, he, he seems to have thought he was doing it all on you-know-whose instructions. Lord Voldemort was giving him instructions, Cornelius, Dumbledore said. Those people's deaths were mere byproducts of a plan to restore Voldemort to full strength again. 
The plan is succeeded. Voldemort has been restored to his body. Fodge looked as though somebody had just swung a heavy weight into his face. Dazed and blinking, he stared back at Dumbledore, as if he couldn't quite believe what he had just heard. He began to sputter, still goggling at Dumbledore. You know who... returned... Preposterous! Come now, Dumbledore! As Minerva and Severus have doubtless told you, said Dumbledore, we heard Barty Crouch confess. Under the influence of Veritas Serum, he told us how he was smuggled out of Azkaban, and how Voldemort, learning of his continued existence from Bertha Jorkins, went to free him from his father and used him to capture Harry. The plan worked, I tell you. Crouch has helped Voldemort to return. <laughs> see here, Dumbledore, said Fudge, and Harry was astonished to see a slight smile dawning on his face. You, you, you can't seriously believe that. You, you know who, back and uh, Come, come now, come now. Suddenly, uh, Crouch must have believed himself to be acting upon you-know-who's orders. But uh, don't take the word of a lunatic like that, Dumbledore. When Harry touched the Triwizard Cup tonight, he was transported straight to Voldemort, said Dumbledore steadily. He witnessed Lord Voldemort's rebirth. I will explain it all to you if you will step up to my office. Dumbledore glanced around at Harry and saw that he was awake, but shook his head and said, I'm afraid I cannot permit you to question Harry tonight. Fudge's curious smile lingered. He too glanced at Harry and then back at Dumbledore and said, You, um... You are prepared to take Harry's word on this, are you, Dumbledore? There was a moment's silence, which was broken by serious growling. His hackles were raised, and he was baring his teeth at Fudge. Suddenly, I believe Harry, said Dumbledore. His eyes were blazing now. I heard Crouch's confession, and I heard Harry's account of what happened after he touched the Triwizard Cup. The two stories make sense. They explain everything that has happened since Bertha Jorkins' disappearance last summer. Fudge still had that strange smile on his face. Once again, he glanced at Harry before answering. You are prepared to believe that Lord Voldemort has returned. On the word of a, a lunatic murderer and a, a, a boy who, well, uh... Fudge shot Harry another look, and Harry suddenly understood. You've been reading Rita Skeeter, Mr. Fudge, he said quietly. Ron, Hermione, Mrs. Weasley, and Bill all jumped. None of them had realized that Harry was awake. Fudge reddened slightly, but a defiant and obstinate look came over his face. What, what if I have? he said, looking at Dumbledore. If I have discovered what you've been... If I have discovered that you have been keeping certain facts about the boy very quiet, a parcel about, eh? And having funny turns all over the place. I assume that you are referring to the pains Harry has been experiencing in his scar said Dumbledore coolly. You must admit that uh, having these uh, 
you admit he has been having the pains, then, said Fudge quickly. <laughs> Headaches, nightmares, possibly hallucinations. Listen to me, Cornelius, said Dumbledore, taking a step toward Fudge, and once again he seemed to radiate that indefinite sense of power Harry had felt after Dumbledore had stunned young Crouch. Harry is as sane as you or I. That scar upon his forehead has not addled his brains. I believe it hurts him when Voldemort is close by, or feeling particularly murderous. Fudge had taken half a step back from Dumbledore, but he looked no less stubborn. You uh, for, forgive me, Dumbledore, but I, I've never heard of a, a, a curse scar acting as a, an alarm bell before. Look, I saw Voldemort come back, Harry shouted. He tried to get out of bed, but Mrs. Weasley forced him back. I saw the Death Eaters. I can give you their names. Lucius Malfoy. Snape gave a sudden movement, but as Harry looked at him, Snape's eyes flew back to Fudge. Malfoy was uh, cleared, said Fudge, visibly affronted. Uh, very old family. D d donations to excellent causes. McNair. Harry continued. Also cleared, now working for the Ministry. Avery, not Crab, Goyle. You are merely repeating the names of those who were acquitted of being Death Eaters uh, thirteen years ago, said Fudge angrily. You could have found those names in uh, old reports of the, cry, the trials. For heaven's sake, Dumbledore, the, the boy is full of some crackpot story. At the end of last year, too, he... His tails are getting taller, and you're, you're, you're still swallowing them. The boy can talk to snakes, Dumbledore, and you think he's trustworthy? You fool! Professor McGonagall cried. Cedric Diggory! Mr. Crouch, those deaths are not the random work of a lunatic. I see no evidence to the contrary! Shouted Fudge, now matching her anger, his face purpling. <laughs> seems to me you're all determined to start a panic that will destabilize everything we have worked for these last 13 years. Harry couldn't believe what he was hearing. He had always thought of Fudge as a kindly figure, a little blustering, a little pompous, but essentially good-natured. But now a short, angry wizard stood before him, refusing point-blank to accept the prospect of disruption his little comfortable and ordered world, to believe that Dumbledore could have risen. Voldemort has returned, Dumbledore repeated. If you do not accept that fact straight away, Fudge, and take the necessary measures, we may... Mm. If you accept that fact straight away, Fudge, and take the necessary measures, we might still be able to save the situation. The first and most essential step is to remove Azkaban from the control of the Dementors. <laughs> Monstrous! shouted Fudge again. Remove the Dementors. I'd, I'd be kicked out of office for suggesting it. Half of us only feel, feel safe in our, our beds at night because we know the Dementors are standing guard at Azkaban. The rest of us sleep less soundly in our beds, Cornelius, knowing that you have put Lord Voldemort's most dangerous supporters in the care of creatures who would join him the instant he asks them, said Dumbledore. They will not remain loyal to you, Fudge. Voldemort can offer them much more scope for their powers and their pleasures than you can. With the Dementors behind him, his old supporters return to him. You will be hard-pressed to stop him regaining the sort of power he had thirteen years ago. 
Fudge was opening and closing his mouth as though no words could express his outrage. A second step you must take, and at once, Dumbledore pressed on, is to send envoys to the giants. Envoys to the giants, Fudge shrieked, finding his tongue again. What madness is this? Extend them the hand of friendship now, before it is too late, said Dumbledore. Although Voldemort will persuade them, as he did before, that he alone, among wizards, will give them their right and their freedom. You, you, you cannot be serious, Fudge gasped, shaking his head and retreating further from Dumbledore. If the magical community got wind, I had approached the giants. People hate them, Dumbledore. End of my career. You are blinded, said Dumbledore his voice rising now, the aura of power around him palpable, his eyes blazing once more. By the love of the office you hold, Cornelius, your place too, you place too much importance, and you have always done, on the so-called purity of blood. You fail to recognize that it matters not what someone is born, but what they grow to be. Your Dementor has just destroyed the last remaining member of a pure-blood family as old as any. And see what that man chose to make of his life. I tell you now, take the steps I have suggested and you will be remembered in office or out as one of the bravest and greatest ministers of magic we have ever known. Fail to act, and history will remember you as the man who stepped aside and allowed Voldemort a second chance to destroy the world we have tried to rebuild. <laughs> In, 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 insane, whispered Fudge, still backing away. M mad. And then there was silence. Madame Pomfrey was standing frozen at the foot of Harry's bed, her hands over her mouth. Mrs. Weasley was still standing over Harry, her hand on his shoulder to protect him from rising. To prevent him from rising. Bill, Ron, and Hermione were staring at Fudge. "'If your determination to shut your eyes will carry you as far as this, Cornelius,' said Dumbledore, "'we have reached a parting of the ways. "'You must act as you see fit. "'And I, I shall act as I see fit.' Dumbledore's voice carried no hint of a threat. It sounded like a mere statement, but Fudge bristled as though Dumbledore were advancing upon him with a wand. No, no, see here, Dumbledore, he said, waving a threatening finger. I, I've given you free reign, always. I, I've had a lot of respect for you. I, I might not have agreed with some of your decisions, but I, I've kept quiet. There aren't many who would let you hire werewolves or keep Hagrid or, or d decide what to teach your students without reference to the ministry. But if you're going to work against me... There is only one whom I intend to work against, said Dumbledore. It is Lord Voldemort. If you are against him, then we shall remain, Cornelius, on the same side. It seemed Fudge could think of no answer to this. He rocked backward and forward on his small feet for a moment and spun his bowler hat in his hands. Finally, he said, with a hint of a plea in his voice, he, 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 he can't be back, Dumbledore. He, he just can't be. 
Snape strode forward, past Dumbledore, pulling up his left sleeve of his robes as he went. He stuck out his forearm and showed it to Fudge, who recoiled. There, said Snape harshly. There. The dark mark. It is not as clear as it was an hour ago when it burned black, but you can still see it. Every Death Eater had the sign burned into him by the Dark Lord. It was a means of distinguishing one another and his means of summoning us to him. When he touched the mark of any Death Eater, we were to disapparate and apparate instantly at his side. This mark has been glowing. This mark has been growing clearer all year. Kakarot, too. Why do you think Kakarot fled tonight? We both felt the mark burn. We know he had returned. Kakarot fears the Dark Lord's vengeance. He betrayed too many of his fellow Death Eaters to be sure of a welcome back into the fold. Fudge stepped back from Snape, too. He was shaking his head. He did not seem to have taken in a word Snape had said. He stared, apparently repelled by the ugly mark on Snape's arm, then looked up at Dumbledore and whispered, I, I don't know what you and your staff are playing at, Dumbledore, but I, I, I have heard enough. I, I have no more to add. I will be in touch with you tomorrow, Dumbledore, to discuss the running of this school. I, 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 I must return to the Ministry. He had almost reached the door when he paused. He turned around, strode back down the dormitory, and stopped at Harry's bed. Your winnings, he said shortly, taking a large bag of gold out of his pocket and dropping it onto Harry's bedside table. One thousand gallions. There should have been a presentation ceremony, but under the circumstances... He crammed his bowler hat onto his head and walked out of the room, slamming the door behind him. The moment he had disappeared, Dumbledore turned to look at the group around Harry's bed. There is work to be done, he said. Molly, am I right in thinking I can count on you and Arthur? Of course you can, said Mrs. Weasley. She was white to the lips, but she looked resolute. We know what fudge is. It's Arthur's fondness for muggles that's held him back at the Ministry all these years. Fudge thinks he lacks proper wizarding pride. And I need to send a message to Arthur, said Dumbledore. All those that we can persuade of the truth must be notified immediately. And he is well placed to contact those in the Ministry who are not as short-sighted as Cornelius. I'll go to Dad, said Bill, standing up. I'll go right now. Excellent, said Dumbledore. Tell him what has happened. Tell him I will be in direct contact with him shortly. He will need to be discreet, however. If Fudge thinks that I am interfering at the Ministry... Leave it to me, said Budge. Budge, <laughs> said Bill. He clapped a hand on Harry's shoulder, kissed his mother on the cheek, pulled on his cloak, and strode quickly from the room. Minerva, said Dumbledore, turning to Professor McGonagall. I want to see Hagrid in my office as soon as possible. Also, if she will consent to come, Madame Maxime... Professor McGonagall nodded and left without a word. Poppy, Dumbledore said to Madame Pomfrey, would you be very kind and go down to Professor Moody's office where I think you will find a house elf called Winky in considerable distress. Do what you can for her and take her back to the kitchens. I think Dobby will look after her for us. 
very, very well, said Madame Pomfrey, looking startled, and she too left. Dumbledore made sure that the door was closed and that Madame Pomfrey's footsteps had died away before he spoke again. And now, he said, it is time for two of our number to recognize each other for what they are. Sirius, if you could resume your usual form. The great black dog looked up at Dumbledore, then in an instant turned back into a man. Mrs. Weasley screamed and leapt back from the bed. Sirius Black! she shrieked, pointing at him. Mum, shut up! Ron yelled. It's okay! Snape had not yelled or jumped backward, but he... But the look on his face was one of mingled fury and horror. Him! He snarled, looking at Sirius, whose face showed equal dislike. What is he doing here? He is here at my invitation said Dumbledore, looking between them. As are you, Severus. I trust you both. It is time for you to lay aside your old differences and trust each other. Harry thought Dumbledore was asking for a near miracle. Sirius and Snape were eyeing each other with the utmost loathing. I will settle in the short term, said Dumbledore, with a bite of impatience in his voice. For a lack of open hostility. You will shake hands. You are on the same side now. Time is short, and unless the few of us who know the truth stand united, there is no hope for any of us. Very slowly, but still glaring at each other as though each wished the other nothing but ill, Sirius and Snape moved toward each other and shook hands. They let go extremely quickly. That will do to be going on with, said Dumbledore, stepping between them once more. Now I have work for each of you. Fudge's attitude, though not unexpected, changes everything. Sirius, I will need you to set off at once. You are to alert Remus Lupin, Arabella Fig, Mundungus Fletcher, the old crowd. Lie low at Lupin's for a while. I will contact you there. But, said Harry, he wanted Sirius to stay. He did not want to have to say goodbye again so quickly. You'll see me very soon, Harry, said Sirius, turning back to him. I promise you. But I must do what I can. You understand, don't you? Yeah, said Harry. Yeah, of course I do. Sirius grasped his hand briefly, nodded to Dumbledore, transformed again into the black dog and ran the length of the room to the door whose handle he turned with a paw. Then he was gone. Severus, said Dumbledore, turning to Snape. You know what I must ask you to do. If you are ready. If you are prepared. I am, said Snape. He looked slightly paler than usual, and his cold black eyes glittered strangely. Then good luck, said Dumbledore, and he watched with a trace of apprehension on his face as Snape swept wordlessly after Sirius. It was several minutes before Dumbledore spoke again. I must go downstairs, he said finally. 
I must see the degrees. Harry, take the rest of your potion. I will see all of you later. Harry slumped back against his pillows as Dumbledore disappeared. Hermione, Ron, and Mrs. Weasley were still looking at him. None of them spoke for a very long time. You've got to take the rest of your portion, Harry, Mrs. Weasley said at last. Her hand nudged the sack of gold on his bedside table as she reached for the bottle and the goblet. You have a good long sleep. Try to think about something else for a while. Think about what you're going to buy with your winnings. I don't want that gold, said Harry in an expressionless voice. You have it. Anyone can have it. I shouldn't have won it. It should have been Cedric's. The thing against which he had been fighting on and off ever since he had come out of the maze was threatening to overpower him. He could feel a burning, prickling feeling in the inner corners of his eyes. He blinked and stared at the ceiling. Was it your fault, Terry? Mrs. Weasley whispered. I told him to take the cup with me, said Harry. Now the burning feeling was in his throat, too. He wished Ron would look away. Mrs. Weasley set the potion down in the bedside cabinet, bent down and put her arms around Harry. He had no memory of ever being hugged like this, as though by a mother. The full weight of everything he had seen that night seemed to fall upon him as Mrs. Weasley held him to her. His mother's face, his father's voice, the sight of Cedric dead on the ground all started spinning around in his head until he could hardly bear it, until he was screwing up his face against the howl of misery, fighting to get out of him. There was a loud slamming noise and Mrs. Weasley and Harry broke apart. Hermione was standing by the window. She was holding something tight in her hand. Sorry, she whispered. Your portion, Harry, said Mrs. Weasley quickly, wiping her eyes on the back of her hand. Harry drank it in one gulp. The effect was instantaneous. Heavy, irresistible waves of dreamless sleep broke over him. He fell back onto his pillows and thought no more. That is the end of the chapter. <sighs> Kitty Bunny says, this is really sad. And Bruce Martin says, I get choked. Um, I'm with you guys. <laughs> I'm a little bit low on sleep. And uh, it's it's putting me in a spot. I think it's it's good that we can... I guess process this in the appropriate mood. Harry's been through a lot. It has been an incredibly long day. I mean, think about, think about, um, boy, I'm trying to put this in, in terms that are easier to understand. He, he wakes up 
he has the equivalent of if any of you play sports i mean imagine imagine your playoff game imagine your your finalist um your your championship uh meet for whatever you're whatever you're doing incredible physical exertion uh you know this the maze that put to the test everything that he learned in school uh it was physically taxing um and then after that he hasn't slept since until right now um until this chapter uh he's been forced to confront the fact that someone he knew and was even starting to trust uh mad eye moody was an enemy the closest enemy the closest one of his mortal enemies has ever gotten to him the fact that he's still maintaining any kind of composure is amazing but of course this i think is what a childhood like harry's can do to a person you know when when you're used to when you're used to this emotionless or at least totally unsupportive home structure i think there are some people who can start to separate into two different individuals in a way there's one that is that has to play the part of the adult and take the brunt of whatever pressures are coming down around them and then the other one is a child which has a hard time growing up because they don't experience things in the same way they sort of switch over uh this is not this is not always but you know i think harry has been forced to deal with things on his own you know i i don't imagine there were ever any long conversations they you know we 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 talked about it we heard about it in in uh, book one especially and i think we're going to hear slightly more about it later on but there were no long discussions for harry about what about his parents he had to process that on his own brings us sort of it can it can generate this sort of numb facade that's able to handle an immense amount of pressure let's see yeah i agree uh ash says at least he has molly she's such a loving mother figure it's interesting to watch molly because as i was remembering how the series went um in my head it was always a situation of uh you know like start to finish molly weasley was like oh very very motherly she would always you know she was she was very consistent all the way through but we see slowly how this how her not not her affection for harry but how her treatment of harry changes i think she's she's always affectionate toward harry but as the series goes on you can see her go from like you can see her go slowly from this is the friend of my child and i will protect them as such especially recognizing as she does that his home life is not great we saw that uh you know how she would always go silent when uh the dursleys were mentioned but she goes from this is the, the the friend of my son who i will protect to this is my son who i will protect because <laughs> um, you know this is this is a a big old hug for harry big in a momentous way weasley is our king I, i've got a i've got a <laughs> there's a draco malfoy doodling around in here someplace mrs weasley is our king says luke <laughs> my father will hear about this oh boy it's even worse with my my voice box in this condition ash says molly's a great mom she even is a mom to kids that are not hers that need a mom's love yep definitely lynn says warwick davis has been in so many great movies harry potter star wars chronicles of narnia must have been so fun 
yeah, he's had an incredible experience over time. Kitty Bunny says, I'm not the only one who's got sweaty eyes, right? Emily Johnson says his net worth is $8 million more than Bill Nye. Are we talking about uh, um, Warwick Davis? Y'all know how this is. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to come back. I'm going to get... I got beamed, obviously. We just passed 500. How awesome is that? Very exciting. Um, I am going to... I'm going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. I'm going to review. You guys know how this works. And we're going to do our, our very last chapter of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. What an exciting day. What an exciting week and exciting day. All right. I'm going to take a break. Bye. Beans. Beans. It's beans time. We're doing beans, then we're doing review. You guys ready for beans? I see you guys are explaining it to somebody. Looks like maybe Bruce. Since I'm going to do your beans today. You're doing my beans, bye. Well, have you ever washed this? By visit? I'm probably not one time. Not. <laughs> it's dusty. It's dusty. Okay. For anybody who doesn't know, um, I eat beans because y'all have done a fantastic job of helping to spread the word about this channel, clearly. I have two beans left in this. I only have two beans, so it's time to order more. I'll have to get in contact with Rachel, see what I can gin up. But I'm not going to look at them. What if they had sugar for Oh, I could eat. I would eat so many beans. I don't know if they have every flavor beans, though. Sugar free. Oh, boy. Anyway, there's that for you. <laughs> Ash is cheering. Tripe, tripe, tripe. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm prepared. As far as I know, well, I got what? Two rotten eggs in a row last week? Was that what it was? That was so bad. I got two rotten eggs and a pepper. The pepper was fine. Pepper was, it was fine. The rotten egg was the worst. Michaela, you are literally just in time for the beans. Okay. We've got two beans tonight because I need to order more. Let me put it, I'm going to put it on my list right now. So I, so I do not forget. Yeah, or get beans. Mas beans, por favor. Okay. Beans. We're good. Okay. Now. I'm not going to look. Cass is going to show you the beans. And then I'm going to eat beans. And I'm going to try and figure out what it is. I'm never good at it. Don't expect anything. Let's go. Okay. Uh, we're just... You should... Uh, left. Of course. Of course. Of course. The camera's still not there. Hold on. Do you need me to change it up? No, I got it. Okay. Ah. There's the clickins. Lens, I love Redwall. I love the Redwall series. 100% I've heard of it. Eulalia! My brother and I really bonded over how those moles used to talk. Burry. Um. There would be a lot of fun voices to do in there, too. Ooh, that's a good idea. Ron? What? <laughs> By the way, okay, before I bite into this thing, while I while I sit here in anticipatory anguish, um, I, want, I want a bunch of happy birthdays from chat. I'm not going to tell you whose birthday it is, because I don't want to, like, I don't want to 
blow anybody's private information. But happy birthday. You know who you are. Okay, here we go. That was 100% cruncher than usual. Cruncher? Crunchier, yeah. 100% cruncher than usual. <laughs> Stop it. Prospector Sam. There's your trucker Sam. I'm going to clear this one right away. It's not one of the good ones. It's pretty... I mean, it's got some kick to it. Is it pepper? It's pepper. I'm, okay, I'm starting to see. I'm starting to circle the drain on this one. I'm starting to circle the drain. I'm sorting it out. There we go. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Again, you know who you are. But uh, I appreciate you a lot. I hope that person Thank you for being here. And I hope you have a great one. I overchewed this one. It's really propagated that pepper in my mouth. No, I gotta finish the bean. If I don't finish it, it's what's the point? Ready? The yeah, I'm ready. Bean. The final bean. Thanks. Little guest appearance from Colin Creevy. Ah. And this is fine right now because she already got me sick. You got yourself sick. <laughs> Alright. There we go. Mm. Without biting into it, it's got that I don't know because my mouth is still spicy, so <laughs> I got a spicy, spicy mouth. Um, so I can't quite tell, but I'm gonna. Th I'm thinking it's earthworm. It's got that weird, like green grass kind of sitch to it. Okay, okay. Once again, not one of the good ones, that's for sure. I don't know what to say about this one. My mouth is still spicy from the pepper one. Was it earthworm? Nope. Or was it just grass? Nope. Grass is an option on here, right? Did I get any? Ash says you should really look into sleep face masks, Sam. Oh, sure. I was like, what, am I getting crow's feet or something? What's the... <laughs> what's your deal, Ash? <laughs> oh, you should really get that checked out. You need some moisturizer. Yeah, grass is an option, but I don't think we got any, did we? In this batch? Okay. Michaela says, I'm starting to think that Five Foot Fury ate all the good beans. I told you I was going to. I, I don't think, know what you expected. I think you might be right. Because I didn't get nearly as much, like, coconut, marshmallow, watermelon, etc. as I feel I should have. Ashlyn says, I remember when the beaning was born. Indeed. Rachel, thank you so much for hooking me up with these. I'll have to uh, put in for another shipment. From, from Honeydukes. What? You don't care what it is. What what is? Keep the suspense going. What what is? I know the knowledge. What? I don't know what's going on. Anyway. That was interesting. Thank you all so much for helping me get to 500. And um, this is kind of great. Because we are, I mean... I would, if we if we call if we want to say that halfway is somewhere between books, you know, if we don't go by like page number or something, um, we're basically at the halfway point for the Harry Potter series. I think we're slightly past um, because you know we've got three books, but they're long ones compared to the first three. Bop, 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 bop. So we're about halfway there, and we're at five hundred. Um, and I will say, I mean, it just it moves quicker and quicker. So I was gonna say like, let's hope by the end of this we've got a thousand. Um, I honestly think it might happen earlier than that because you guys are talking or 
that I'm making sense to the algorithm or something, but it's going well. <laughs> Michaela, that's an interesting idea. I'm very excited to, uh, to have nobody buy it. <laughs> okay, so we're going to need new beans. Michaela says beans, beans, beans. Okay, review. Last chapter, um, Harry had to relive uh, the events of the night. Um, everything that happened after uh, end of the final task of the Triwizard Tournament. Um, he grabs the handle and is whisked off to Voldemort. Now, we've already seen what happened there. We've already done a review of it. Um, but he has to relive that all um, for Dumbledore and Sirius. After that, Dumbledore takes him down to the hospital wing and commands him, it is time to sleep, get some rest, finally. Unfortunately, that rest is interrupted by Cornelius Fudge. Turns out, um, Cornelius Fudge has a Dementor brought up to the, they're summoned a Dementor up to the office where Bartimaeus Crouch Jr. was being held, the one witness who could prove that uh, Harry's account of tonight's events is true, and the Dementor immediately performs the Dementor's kiss, meaning that there is no viable, um, witness now at this point other than harry and it doesn't seem like fudge respects harry's views on this very much he seems to have been reading rita skeeter uh seems that perhaps he finds harry to be untrustworthy possibly even crazy in the midst of an enormous argument like a, a shouting argument between uh professor snape professor mcgonagall cornelius fudge dumbledore um, this is a, it's a prolonged argument where Dumbledore is trying to convince Fudge that Voldemort really is back and it is Fudge's job to do something about it right now. And if he does, it's possible they could still salvage the situation, says Dumbledore. Um, Fudge refuses to believe that Voldemort is back. Just point blank refuses it. This is not good news for the Wizarding World as a whole. Eventually he leaves in a huff and Dumbledore puts his uh all of his supporters into action um molly and arthur weasley bill weasley um sirius black and snape both go their separate ways but not before a uh, a tense realization that sirius black has been around the whole time and that dumbledore trusts him and dumbledore trusts snape and if they're going to defeat voldemort they need to trust each other um uh, at the very end Hermione makes a weird loud noise by the window and or that was somewhere in the middle, I guess, but um, that is roughly where it ends. Uh, Dumbledore departs and Harry slips once again into a deep sleep. Luke says, forgot to remind everyone to like the video. Appreciate it, Luke. Thank you. Um, Luke has been helping me out with some of the, uh, the channel art. I appreciate it. Um, lots of last week was his, uh, his help. Um, once again, he's another like lit literary social media person. So go follow him on Instagram at uh, Luke Sky F O O S. Do it, do it. All right, we're gonna get into the next chapter. I appreciate you guys so much for listening. Uh, I hope we can uh, continue this long into the future, long past even Harry Potter. Um, but. 
to anybody who has to duck out early because I realize we're we're running a little on the long side as we have tended to do more and more recently. Um, if you have to duck out at any point tonight, I will see you next week for the start of book five. Very exciting. All right. Let's get started, shall we? Chapter 37, The Beginning When he looked back, even a month later, Harry found that he had only scattered memories of the next few days. It was as though he had been through too much to take in anymore. The recollections that he did have were very painful. The worst, perhaps, was the meeting with the diggeries that took place the following morning. They did not blame him for what had happened. On the contrary, both thanked him for returning Cedric's body to them. Mr. Diggory sobbed through most of the interview. Mrs. Diggory's grief seemed to be beyond tears. He suffered very little then, she said, when Harry had told her how Cedric had died. And after all, Amos, he died just when he'd won the tournament. He must have been very happy. When they got to their feet, she looked down at Harry and said, You look after yourself now. Harry seized the sack of gold on the bedside table. You take this, he muttered to her. It should have been Cedric's. He got there first. You can take it. But she backed away from him. Uh, no, it's yours, dear. I, I couldn't. You keep it. Harry returned to Gryffindor Tower the following evening. Really quick, we're at a chapter break. Um, I'm seeing interesting things happening with Ash and Luke. You guys partnering up sounds awesome. That's exactly what I would hope from, from this group of people we've got here. Okay, now I'll keep going. Harry returned to Gryffindor Tower the following evening. From what Hermione and Ron told him, Dumbledore had spoken to the school that morning at breakfast. He had merely requested that they leave Harry alone, that nobody ask him questions or badger him to tell the story of what had happened in the maze. Most people, he noticed, were skirting him in the corridors, avoiding his eyes. Some whispered around their hands as he passed. He guessed that many of them believed Rita Skeeter's article about how disturbed and possibly dangerous he was. Perhaps they were formulating their own theories about how Cedric had died. He found he didn't care very much. He liked it best when he was with Ron and Hermione and they were talking about other things, or else letting him sit in silence while they played chess. He felt as though all three of them had reached an understanding that didn't need to be put into words, that each was waiting for some sign, some word of what was going on outside Hogwarts, and that it was useless to speculate about what might be coming until they knew anything for certain. The only time they touched upon the subject was when Ron told Harry about a meeting Mrs. Weasley had had with Dumbledore before going home. She went to ask him if you could come straight to us for this summer, he said, but it wants you to go back to the Dursleys, at least at first. Why? said Harry. She said Dumbledore's got his reasons, said Ron, shaking his head darkly. I suppose we've got to trust him, haven't we? 
The only person apart from Ron and Hermione that Harry felt able to talk to was Hagrid. As there was no longer a defense against the dark arts teacher, they had those lessons free. They used the one on Thursday afternoon to go down and visit Hagrid in his cabin. It was a bright and sunny day. Fang bounded out of the open door as they approached, barking and wagging his tail madly. "'Who's that?' called Hagrid, coming to the door. "'Harry!' He strode out to meet him, pulled Harry into a one-armed hug, ruffled his hair, and said, "'Good to see you, mate. Good to see you.' They saw two bucket-sized cups and saucers on the wooden table in front of the fireplace when they entered Hagrid's cabin. "'Have you been having a cuppa with Olympia?' Hagrid said. "'She just left.' "'Who?' said Ron curiously. "'Madame Maxime, of course,' said Hagrid. "'You two made up, then, have you?' said Ron. "'I don't know what you're talking about,' said Hagrid airily, fetching more cups from the dresser. When he had made tea and offered them a plate of doughy cookies, he leaned back in his chair and surveyed Harry closely through his beetle-black eyes. "'You all right?' he said gruffly. "'Yeah,' said Harry. "'No, you're not. "'Of course you're not. "'But you will be.' "'Harry said nothing. "'We knew he was going to come back,' said Hagrid. "'And Harry, Ron, and Hermione looked up at him, shocked. "'I'd known it for years, Harry. "'I knew he was out there, biding his time. "'It had to happen. "'Well, now it has, and we'll just have to get on with it. "'We'll fight.' Might be able to stop him before he gets a good hold. That's Dumbledore's plan, anyway. Great man, Dumbledore. As long as we got him, I'm not too worried. Hagrid raised his bushy eyebrows at the disbelieving expressions on their faces. No good sitting round worrying about it, he said. What's coming will come, and we'll meet it when it does. Dumbledore told me what you did, Harry. Hagrid's chest swelled as he looked at Harry. You did as much as your father would have done, and I can give you no higher praise than that. Harry smiled back at him. It was the first time he'd smiled in days. What's Dumbledore ask you to do, Hagrid? he asked. He sent Professor McGonagall to ask you and Madame Maxine to meet him. That night. Got a little job for me over the summer, said Hagrid. Secret, though. I'm not supposed to talk about it. No, not even to you lot. Olympia, uh, Madame Maxine to you, might be coming with me. I think she will. I think I got her persuaded. Is it to do with Voldemort? Harry Flitton. Hagrid flinched at the sound of the name. Um, might be, he said evasively. Now, who'd like to come and visit the last scrut with me? I was joking, joking, he added hastily, seeing the looks on their faces. It was with a heavy heart that Harry packed his trunk up in the dormitory on the night before his return to Privet Drive. He was dreading the leaving feast, which was usually a cause for celebration, when the winner of the Interhouse Championship would be announced. He had avoided being in the Great Hall when it was full ever since he had left the hospital wing, referring to eat when it was nearly empty to avoid the stares of his fellow students. When he, Ron, and Hermione entered the hall, they saw at once the usual decorations were missing. 
The great hall was normally decorated with the winning house's colors for the leaving feast. Tonight, however, there were black drapes on the wall behind the teacher's table. Harry knew instantly that they were there as a mark of respect for Cedric. The real Mad-Eye Moody was at the staff table now, his wooden leg and his magical eye back in place. He was extremely twitchy, jumping every time someone spoke to him. Harry couldn't blame him. Moody's fear of attack was bound to have increased by his ten-month imprisonment in his own trunk. Professor Karkaroff's chair was empty. Harry wondered, as he sat down with the other Gryffindors, where Karkaroff was now, and whether Voldemort had caught up with him. Madame Maxime was still there. She was sitting next to Hagrid. They were talking quietly to each other. Further along the table, sitting next to Professor McGonagall, was Snape. His eyes lingered on Harry for a moment as Harry looked at him. His expression was difficult to read. He looked as sour and unpleasant as ever. Harry continued to watch him, long after Snape had looked away. What was it that Snape had done on Dumbledore's orders, the night that Voldemort had returned? And why? Why was Dumbledore so convinced that Snape was truly on their side? He had been their spy, Dumbledore said so, in the pensive. Snape had turned spy against Voldemort at great personal risk. Was that the job he had taken up again? Had he made contact with the Death Eaters, perhaps? Pretended that he had never really gone over to Dumbledore, that he had been, like Voldemort himself, biding his time? Harry's musings were ended by Professor Dumbledore, who stood up at the staff table. The Great Hall, which in any case had been less noisy than it usually was at the leaving feast, became very quiet. The end, said Dumbledore, looking around at them all, of another year. He paused, and his eyes fell upon the Hufflepuff table. This had been the most subdued table before he had gotten to his feet, and theirs was still the saddest and palest faces in the hall. There is much I would like to say to you all tonight, said Dumbledore, but I must first acknowledge the loss of a very fine person who should be sitting here, he gestured toward the Hufflepuffs, enjoying our feast with us. I would like you all please to stand and raise your glasses to Cedric Diggory. They did it. All of them. The benches scraped as everyone in the hall stood and raised their goblets, and echoed in one loud, low, rumbling voice, Cedric Diggory. Harry caught a glimpse of Cho through the crowd. There were tears pouring silently down her face. He looked down at the table as they all sat down again. Cedric was a person who exemplified many of the qualities that distinguish Hufflepuff House, Dumbledore continued. He was a good and loyal friend, a hard worker. He valued fair play. His death has affected you all whether you knew him well or not. I think that you have the right, therefore, to know exactly how it came about." Harry raised his head and stared at Dumbledore. 
Cedric Diggory was murdered by Lord Voldemort. A panicked whisper swept the Great Hall. People were staring at Dumbledore in disbelief, in horror. He looked perfectly calm as he watched them mutter themselves into silence. The Ministry of Magic, Dumbledore continued, does not wish for me to tell you this. It is possible that some of your parents will be horrified that I have done so, either because they will not believe that Lord Voldemort has returned, or because they think I should not tell you so, young as you are. It is my belief, however, that the truth is generally preferable to lies, and that any attempt to pretend that Cedric died as the result of an accident or some sort of blunder of his own is an insult to his memory. Stunned and frightened, every face in the hall was turned toward Dumbledore now. Or almost every face. Over the Slytherin table, Harry saw Draco Malfoy muttering something to Crabbe and Goyle. Harry felt a hot, sick swoop of anger in his stomach. He forced himself to look back at Dumbledore. There is somebody else who must be mentioned in connection with Cedric's death, Dumbledore went on. I'm talking, of course, about Harry Potter. A kind of ripple crossed the great hall as a few heads turned in Harry's direction before flicking back to face Dumbledore. Harry Potter managed to escape Lord Voldemort, said Dumbledore. He risked his own life to return Cedric's body to Hogwarts. He showed, in every respect, the sort of bravery that few wizards have ever shown in facing Voldemort, and for this... I honor him. Dumbledore turned gravely to Harry and raised his goblet once more. Nearly everyone in the Great Hall followed suit. They murmured his name, they had murmured Cedric's, and drank to him. But through a gap in the standing figures, Harry saw that Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle, and many of the other Slytherins, had remained defiantly in their seats, their goblets untouched. Dumbledore, who, after all, possessed no magical eye, did not see them. When everyone had once again resumed their seats, Dumbledore continued, The Triwizard Tournament's aim was to further and promote magical understanding. In the light of what has happened, of Lord Voldemort's return, such ties are more important than ever before. Dumbledore looked from Madame Maxime and Hagrid, to Fleur Delacour and her fellow Beaubaton students, to Victor Crumb and the Durmstrangs at the Slytherin table. Crumb, he saw, looked wary, almost frightened, as though he expected Dumbledore to say something harsh. Every guest in this hall, said Dumbledore, and his eyes lingered upon the Durmstrang students, will be welcome back here at any time, should they wish to come. I say to you all once again, in the light of Lord Voldemort's return, we are only as strong as we are united, as weak as we are divided. Lord Voldemort's gift for spreading discord and enmity is very great. You can fight it only by showing an equally strong bond of friendship and trust. Differences of habit and language are nothing at all if our aims are identical and our hearts are open. It is my belief, and never have I so hoped that I am mistaken that we are all facing dark and difficult times. Some of you in this hall have already suffered directly at the hands of Lord Voldemort. Many of your families have been torn asunder. A week ago, 
a student was taken from our midst. Remember, Cedric, remember if the time should come when you have to make a choice between what is right and what is easy, remember what happened to a boy who was good and kind and brave because he strayed across the path of Lord Voldemort. Remember, Cedric Diggory. Harry's trunk was packed. Pedwig was back in her cage on top of it. He, Ron, and Hermione were waiting in the crowded entrance hall with the rest of the fourth years for the carriages that would take them back to Hogsmeade Station. It was another beautiful summer's day. He supposed that Privet Drive would be hot and leafy, its flower beds a riot of color when he arrived there that evening. The thought gave him no pleasure at all. Harry? He looked around. Fleur Delacour was hurrying up the stone steps into the castle. Beyond her, far across the grounds, Harry could see Hagrid helping Madame Maxime into the back of... Uh, what? Oh. Harry could see Hagrid helping Madame Maxime to back two of the giant horses into their harnesses. The Beaubaton carriage was about to take off. We will see each other again, I hope, said Fleur, as she reached him, holding out her hand. I'm hoping to get a job here to improve my English. It's very good already, said Ron in a strangled sort of voice. Fleur smiled at him. Hermione scowled. Goodbye, Harry, said Fleur, turning to go. It has been a pleasure to meet you. Harry's spirits couldn't help but lift slightly as he watched Fleur hurry back across the lawns to Madame Maxime, her silvery hair rippling in the sunlight. Wonder how the Durmstrang students are getting back, said Ron. Do you reckon they can steer that ship without Karkaroff? Karkaroff did not steer, said a gruff voice. He stayed in his cabin and let us do all the work. Crom had come to say goodbye to Hermione. Could I have a word? he asked her. Oh, yes, all right, said Hermione, looking slightly flustered, and followed Crum through the crowd and out of sight. You better hurry up, Ron called loudly after her. The carriages will be here in the minutes. He let Harry keep a watch for the carriages, however, and spent the next few minutes craning his neck over the crowd to try and see what Crum and Hermione might be up to. They returned quite soon. Ron stared at Hermione, but her face was quite impassive. I like the diggory, said Crum abruptly to Harry. He was always polite to me. Always. Even though I was from Durmstrang. With Karkaroff, he added, scowling. Have you got a new headmaster yet? said Harry. Crum shrugged. He held out his hand as Fleur had done, shook Harry's hand, and then Ron's. Ron looked as though he were suffering some sort of painful internal struggle. Crum had already started walking away when Ron burst out, Can I have your autograph? Hermione turned away, smiling at the horseless carriages that were now trundling up toward them in the drive, as Crum, looking surprised but gratified, signed a fragment of parchment for Ron. Valerie, or Valari, welcome. 
The weather could not have been more different on the journey back to King's Cross than it had been on their way to Hogwarts the previous September. There wasn't a single cloud in the sky. Harry, Ron, and Hermione had managed to get a compartment to themselves. Pigwidgeon was once again hidden under Ron's dress robes to stop him from hooting continually. Hedwig was dozing, her head under her wing, and Crookshanks was curled up in a spare seat like a large, furry ginger cushion. Harry, Ron, and Hermione talked more fully and freely than they had all week as the train sped down southward. Harry felt as though Dumbledore's speech at the leaving feast had unblocked him somehow. It was less painful to discuss what had happened now. They broke off their conversation about what action Dumbledore might be taking, even now, to stop Voldemort only when the lunch trolley arrived. When Hermione returned from the trolley and put her money back in her school bag, she dislodged a copy of the Daily Prophet she had been carrying in there. Harry looked at it, unsure whether he really wanted to know what it might say, but Hermione, seeing him looking at it, said calmly, There's nothing in there. You can look for yourself, but there's nothing at all. I've checked it every day. Just a small piece the day after the third task, saying that you won the tournament. They didn't even mention Cedric. Nothing about anything. If you ask me, Fudge is forcing them to keep quiet. They'll never keep Rita quiet, said Harry. Not on a story like this. Oh, Rita hasn't written anything at all since the third task, said Hermione in an oddly constrained voice. As a matter of fact, she added, her voice now trembling slightly, Rita Skeeter isn't going to be writing anything at all for a while. Not unless she wants me to spill the beans on her. What are you talking about? said Ron. I found out how she was listening in on private conversations when she wasn't supposed to be coming to Hogwarts, said Hermione in a rush. They had the impression Hermione had been dying to tell them this for days, but she had restrained herself in light of everything else that had happened. How was she doing it? said Harry at once. Oh, did you find out? said Ron, staring at her. Well, it was you, really, who gave him the idea, Harry, she said. Did I? said Harry, perplexed. How? Bugging, said Hermione happily. But you said that they don't work. Oh, not electronic bugs, said Hermione. No, you see, Rita Skeeter, Hermione's voice trembled with quiet triumph, is an unregistered animagus. She can turn, Hermione pulled a small sealed glass jar out of her bag, into a beetle. You're kidding, said Ron. You are, she's not. Oh, yes, she is said Hermione happily, brandishing the jar at them. Inside were a few twigs and leaves and one large, fat beetle. That's never... Well, uh, uh, you're kidding, Ron whispered, lifting the jar to his eyes. No, I'm not, said Hermione, beaming. I caught her on the windowsill in the hospital wing. Look very closely. You'll see the markings around her antenna are exactly like those foul glasses she wears. Harry looked and saw that she was quite right. He also remembered something. There was a beetle on the statue the night that we heard Hagrid telling Madame Maxime about his mum. Exactly, said Hermione, and Victor pulled a beetle out of my hair after we'd had our conversation by the lake. Unless I'm very much mistaken, Rita was perched on the windowsill of the divination class the day that your scar was hurting. She's been buzzing around for stories all year. When we saw Malfoy under that tree, said Ron slowly, he was talking to her in his hand, said Hermione. He knew, of course, 
That's how she's been getting all these nice little interviews with the Slytherins. They wouldn't care she was doing something illegal as long as they were giving her horrible stuff about us and Hagrid. Hermione took the glass jar back from Ron and smiled at the beetle, which buzzed angrily against the glass. I've told her that I'll let her out when we get back to London, said Hermione. I've put an unbreakable charm in the jar, you see, so she can't transform. I told her that she's going to keep her quill to herself for a whole year. See if she can't break the habit of writing horrible lies about people. Smiling serenely, Hermione placed the beetle back inside her school bag. The door of the compartment slid open. Very clever, Granger, said Draco Malfoy. Crabbe and Goyle were standing behind him, all three of them looking more pleased with themselves, more arrogant and more menacing than Harry had ever seen them. So, said Malfoy slowly, advancing slightly into the compartment and looking slowly around at them, a smirk quivering on his lips. You caught some pathetic reporter and Dumbledore has got Potter as his favorite boy again. Big deal. His smirk widened. Crab and Goyle leered. Trying not to think about it, are we? Said Harry soft. Hmm? Said Malfoy softly, looking around at all three of them. Trying to pretend it hasn't happened. Get out, said Harry. He had not been this close to Malfoy since he had watched him muttering to Crab and Goyle during Dumbledore's speech about Cedric. He could feel a kind of ringing in his ears. His hand gripped his wand under his robes. You've picked the losing side, Potter. I warned you. I told you you ought to choose your company more carefully, remember? When we met on the train, a first day at Hogwarts. I told you not to hang around with riffraff like this. He jerked his head at Ron and Hermione. Too late now, Potter. They'll be the first to go now that the Dark Lord is back. Mudbloods and muggle lovers first. Well, second. Diggory was the f- It was as though someone had exploded a box of fireworks within the compartment. Blinded by the blaze of the spells that had blasted from every direction, deafened by a series of bangs, Harry blinked and looked down at the floor. Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle were all lying unconscious in the doorway. He, Ron, and Hermione were all on their feet, all three of them having used a different hex. Nor were they the only ones to have done so. I thought we'd see what those three went up to, said Fred, matter-of-factly, stepping, stepping onto Goyle and into the compartment. He had his wand out, and so did George, who was careful to tread on Malfoy as he followed Fred inside. Hmm... Interesting effect, said George, looking down at Crab. Who used the fununculist curse? Me, said Harry. It's odd, said George lightly. I used jelly legs. Looks as though those two shouldn't be mixed. Seems to have sprouted little tentacles all over his face. Well, let's not leave them here, eh? Don't add much to the decor. Ron, Harry, George and Fred, kicked, rolled, and pushed the unconscious Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle, each of them looking distinctly worse for the jumble of jinxes with which they had been hit, out into the corridor, then came back into the compartment and rolled the door shut. Exploding snap, anyone? said Fred, pulling out a pack of cards. They were halfway through their fifth game when Harry decided to ask them. You're going to tell us then? he said to George. 
who you were blackmailing? Oh, said George Fredley. That... It doesn't matter, said Fred, shaking his head impatiently. It wasn't anything important. Not now, anyway. We've given up trying, said George, shrugging. But Harry, Ron, and Hermione kept on asking, and finally Fred said, All right, all right, if you really want to know. It was Ludo Bagman. Bagman? said Harry sharply. Are you saying that he was involved in... No, said George gloomily. Nothing like that. Stupid git. He wouldn't have the brains. Well, what then? said Ron. Ron hesitated, then said, You remember that bet that we had with him at the Quidditch World Cup? About how Ireland would win, but Crumb would get the snitch. Yeah, said Harry and Ron slowly. Well, the git paid us in leprechaun gold that he'd cut from the Irish mascots. So? So? said Fred impatiently. It vanished, didn't it? By next morning it had gone. But it, it must have been an accident, mustn't it? said Hermione. George laughed very bitterly. <laughs> yeah, that's what we thought at first. We thought that if we just wrote to him, told him he made a mistake, he'd cough it up. But nothing doing. Ignored our letter. We kept trying to talk to him at Hogwarts, but he was always making up some excuse to get away from us. In the end, he turned pretty nasty, said Fred. Told us that we were too young to gamble and he wasn't giving us anything. So we asked for our money back, said George, glowering. <gasps> he didn't refuse, gasped Hermione. Right in one, said Fred. But that was all your savings, said Ron. Tell me about it, said George. Of course, we found out what was going on in the end. Lee Jordan's dad had a bit of trouble getting money off Bagman as well. Turns out he's in big trouble with the goblins. He borrowed loads of gold off them. A gang of them cornered him in the woods after the World Cup and took all the gold that he had. And it still wasn't enough to cover all his debts. They followed him all the way to Hogwarts to keep an eye on him. He's lost everything gambling. Hasn't had two galleons to rub together. And you know how the idiot tried to pay the goblins back? How? said Harry. He put a bet on you, mate, said Fred. Put a big bet on you to win the tournament. Bet against the goblins. So that's why he kept trying to help me win, said Harry. Well, I did, didn't I? So he can pay back your gold. Nope, said George, shaking his head. The goblins play as dirty as him. They say you drew with Diggory and Bagman was betting you'd win outright. So Bagman had to run for it. He did run for it right after the third task. George sighed deeply and started dealing out the cards again. The rest of the journey passed pleasantly enough. Harry wished it could have gone on all summer, in fact, and that he would never arrive at King's Cross, but as he learned the hard way that year, time will not slow down when something unpleasant lies ahead, and all too soon the Hogwarts Express was pulling in at platform nine and three quarters. The usual confusion and noise filled the corridors as the students began to disembark. Ron and Hermione struggled out past Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle, carrying their trunks. Harry, however, stayed put. Fred, George, wait a moment. The twins turned. Harry pulled open his trunk and drew out his Triwizard winnings. 
Take it, he said, and he thrust the sack into George's hands. Waltz, said Fred, looking flabbergasted. Take it, Harry repeated firmly. I don't want it. You're mental, said George, trying to push it back to Harry. No, I'm not, said Harry. You take it and get inventing. It's for the joke shop. He is mental, Fred said in an almost awed voice. Listen, said Harry firmly. If you don't take it, I'm throwing it down the drain. I don't want it and I don't need it. But I could use a few laughs. We could all do with a few laughs. I've got a feeling we're going to need them more than usual before long. Harry, said George weakly, weighing the money bag in his hands. There's got to be a thousand galleons in here. Yeah, said Harry, grinning. Think how many canary creams that is. The twins stared at him. Just don't tell your mum where you got it. Although she might not be so keen for you to join the ministry anymore, come to think of it. Harry, Fred began, but Harry pulled out his wand. Look, he said flatly, take it or I'll hex you. I know some good ones now, just do me one favour, okay? Buy Ron some different dress robes. And say that they're from you. He left the compartment before they could say another word, stepping over Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle, who were still lying on the floor, covered in hex marks. Uncle Vernon was waiting beyond the barrier. Mrs. Weasley was close by him. She hugged Harry very tightly when she saw him and whispered in his ear, I think Dumbledore will let you come back to us later in the summer. You keep in touch, Harry. See you, Harry, said Ron, clapping him on the back. Bye, Harry, said Hermione, and she did something she had never done before, and kissed him on the cheek. Harry. Thanks, George muttered, while Fred nodded fervently at his side. Harry winked at them, turned to Uncle Vernon, and followed him silently from the station. There was no point worrying yet, he told himself. As he got onto the, as he got into the back of the Dursleys' car, as Hagrid had said, what would come would come, and he would have to meet it when it did. And that is the end of our chapter. And being as it is, that is the end of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. What a night. What a, what a fun run this has been. I've really enjoyed doing this. Uh, I just want to reiterate. I'm doing it less frequently now, but I feel it's important to remind myself. I did not think we'd get through book one. And here we are, a year and a half later. Over a year and a half later. Um, going on strong. We're going to hit book five next week. Luke's, Luke says book five is my favorite. Luke, I think I agree with you. Although, now that I've been rereading uh, books six and seven, six hit me a lot better than it did last time. Or I should say the first time. Um, uh, I still think five is probably top of my list, though. Five is a great, great book. And it's also the longest one. So we're in good luck there, aren't we? Um, let's see. What else is in chat? Valerie and Ash. So, oh boy. Umbridge's voice. 
Umbridge's voice. Umbridge's voice is um is going to be interesting. I'm I'm trying to decide if I'm going to do it the same way that I've done it in my past reading out loud, my my private out loud reading, or if I'm going to change it up. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? My like standard like high pitched British voice. Just about anything like that is going to sound like Hermione. The books are pretty explicit and they mention it kind of frequently, which is going to possibly make it even more jarring. Umbridge is supposed to have this really high-pitched girly voice. In order to make it distinct from... Let me center myself here. I look like a goon just like hanging off the side of the screen. Um, in order to make the voice distinct from, like I said, Hermione and even a little bit of Winky, honestly, because if we really like squeak up. Um, okay, Nate saying don't spoil it. I don't know how I give you guys so much lead up. I feel bad not saying it now. Well, even better. Don't say it. Uh, and you gotta do it. Just let it suffice to say that um, there is a there is a a character from an from a from a Pixar movie that I have based this uh, the voice on, and I would say unless I can come up with something else very different, it's likely I'll be going with a voice that really is not very much how. Uh, how they describe it. <laughs> Ash says, "Froggy kind of voice would suit her, I think." Okay, okay, we're in we're in good shape then, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, do keep in mind as we progress and as we meet uh, Dolores Umbridge, um, my the voice that I have for her might not necessarily match up with what they say in the book. It might be a little bit more her soul speaking, her toady, her her. her bullfrog toad soul <laughs> Julia Rivard says think bullfrog not girly all right well that that uh, that decided it pretty handily sounds like we're going yes. umbridge classic <laughs> okay uh, Nate Cass I will I will listen I'm not gonna blow it yet but uh, expect an interesting one Lynn says, your Hermione voice reminds me of Umbridge. Sorry. It's quite all right. I understand. Um, obviously, you know, if I, if I had, that's one of the things I wish. I, was, I wish I was able to, to portray a wider array of female voices, um, but I have to do most of them with accents because it's tough to do anything except for like change your, the size of the voice box and then pitch up. It's hard to do much beyond that. So I've got like Hermione and... Um, she's the only one who sounds normal. All the rest of them are like really big, kind of exaggerated. You know, Madame Pomfrey, something like this. Um, uh, the, the fat lady sounding pretty similar. Um, uh, Professor McGonagall also sounding, you know, very, very unique and not much like somebody you would hear in real life. I've, okay, Ash, I've been, I have been, uh, Michaela, I don't want to tell you which movie because I do think it would give it away, right? Would it give it away? I think it would give it away. Um, I will. I will. Uh, I will. I'm gonna. When when we come to that chapter where we introduce her, I'm going to. Uh, I will. I will do something. Some sort of. I like this idea of a guessing, guessing opportunity. Also, um, 
somebody in, I can't remember if it was Discord or the comments, I think it was the comments from a previous video, but they brought up, um, they, they sorted out who one of my voices was based on, um, but I think it would be a f <laughs> kind of a fun game, especially with some of the minor characters who I haven't based off the original performances from the movies. I think it would be kind of funny to play a game where y'all try to guess what terrible impression I'm doing for various voices. I think that might be a fun game. So uh, I will set you guys, I will, here, I'm going to put that on my list as well. And I will set you guys your first challenge um, probably next week. Okay, good. Got that taken care of. <laughs> good night, Julia. Past 11. All right. Have a great night. Get some good sleep. Okay. Sorry, Ash, coming back to you. Um, I have been watching some share interviews, trying to, <laughs> trying to sort out how I'm going to pull that voice together. I don't know. I don't know if I can do, no, it's not right. hundred percent. It's not ready yet. hundred percent. It's not ready yet. hundred percent. It is not ready yet. It's not even, it's not close to ready. I don't know if I can do that. That, that, that requires some like precision that I don't know if I possess, but I am going to, I, I, I do promise I will make an effort with share. It's come up often enough. I, if it's not, if I'm not confident in my share voice, it's probably not going to end up being Bellatrix as I believe was the original suggestion, but I do promise share voice will make an appearance. I do promise that. Thank you for watching another wonderful stream. It was a great, it was a, it was a pretty good stream. Uh, I was a little nervous because I was going into it with a rough voice. I was especially nervous about like Hermione and some of the higher female voices, but it went well. Not bad. <laughs> Take your turn back time. Yep. And Lynn says, please do Redwall after Harry Potter. There are so many, there are so many good book series that I could do after Harry Potter. Um, I've had a, a number of suggestions that I do. Um, uh, series of unfortunate events. There's um, uh, the lightning thief. There's um, I mean, Redwall's a great one. <sighs> a lot of decisions to make. Luckily, I don't have to make the decision for a while. It's gonna be a long time before I have to make the decision. Eh, it's gonna be in like a year. It is a long time, isn't it? I don't finish up with this for a year, but you know, we've been doing it for a year and a half and I think, uh, I think we continue plugging right along, don't we? Trisha's saying Aragon. Aragon is a great idea. There are too many good ones. There are too many good ones, but it's a good spot to be in. We've got a lot of, of really great, uh, really great ones to, uh, to try. As usual, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories, and I really appreciate you guys uh, joining me on this fascinating journey. If you guys are interested in continuing to connect uh, after I have to close down the stream, because unfortunately I do have to close it down at some point during the night, um, go ahead and jump into the Discord. Discord is just a, a great app for chatting based on, you know, different... Uh, uh, sort of organizing by subjects. There are different channels. Uh, my favorite thing about it is that you can really finely adjust your notification settings. So if you don't like getting bugged all the time, you can just make it shush. So if you want that, if you want to jump in on there, um, go ahead and you can find the link in the uh, description box below this video and in basically all of my past videos. Nate is saying Del Toro Quest was a serious, was, oh, was a series I read as a young lad. 
I am not familiar with Del Toro Quest at all. I don't think I've ever heard of it. I'll have to look that up later. Uh, Ash says, House of Night is so unknown. It'd be awesome out loud. And Five Foot Fury says, I wondered what you meant about a serious read for a young lad. <laughs> Stop it, you. Um, I'm also just now finding out about something called the Dresden Files. I don't think it's right for this. I get the sense it's a little, it's a little uh, more adult than this. Um, and I like this genre that we've found so far. It's a good for, like, easy listening stuff. Uh, so... If you want to get connected again go ahead check out the uh the discord again if this all crashes and burns at some point meet me on instagram it's going to be just at uh sidecar stories it's going to be at sidecar stories there's no uh in there <laughs> and um we'll uh we'll reconvene from there thank you all so much for watching lynn's are you me? I love the Ranger's Apprentice books. I loved them. Sylvia says House of Night would be so good. I don't know much about House of Night. It sounds vampire related. Um, wait, did somebody mention those before? I feel like, I've, Ash, I think you might have mentioned those before. Okay, Linz, let's do a test here. Let me run one more by you. Children of the Lamp. Because it's really possible that you and I just read all the same books when we were kids. Or when we were younger. Lynn's uh, Children of the Lamp. I think we already, in the comments, we already talked about... It might not have been you, but we, we uh, I was talking with somebody in the comments about uh, Boxcar Children and um, some other mystery ones. Uh, the Bartimaeus Trilogy. There's one. That one's a little, a little more esoteric. There are a lot of good options. Again, I'm glad this isn't a decision I have to make early. Um, I want to remind you guys that I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to um, continue with this Harry Potter series and with my other series is is in more of an uh, an audio leaning format. Um, right now, I've had you know a decent bit of visual stuff. I think I'm going to turn that back a little bit. I'm going to turn that down. Um, probably fewer scenes per chapter. Um, I might even get to the point where I only want to do one scene per chapter. Um, we can, we can talk about it. Um, but ultimately what I'd love to do is turn that down and then go way up and add, uh, some music and sound effects. It's something I've been, uh, test running in, um, The Great Gatsby. If you want to hear, honestly, I think a better example of it so far because the sound balance has been, uh, Sherlock Holmes the uh the the great gatsby one was actually too quiet so you couldn't hear some of the sound effects and almost none of the music so um i look forward to getting better at that uh, but i'd like to add that into um the next chapter it'll be really interesting animorphs yep there's another one lens i'm gonna jump back to you um but I'd, I'd really love to really try and make the audio experience very very cool something i'm working on I've got some 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 things that work so far. Uh, OBS is fine for uh, switching music. It's a little annoying because I can't get the music to fade out. It's just the only option is like hard cut. That's okay. We might sort out something better later. Um, and then finally, uh, I've got a digital soundboard. The problem is if you use it for long enough, it starts to get a delay on it. So I'll press the button and nothing happens for 
it could be a full like five or ten seconds and then suddenly the sound is there so we will see again it's something i'm going to get better at just like i got better at this um and uh we'll have to we'll have to see how it goes but i think it will make for a very very engaging experience all right it's about time i shut down tonight i think i hope you all have a fantastic week a fantastic week thank you so much for joining me this far thank you for all the people who read um or who who listened along to some of the earlier videos and decided you know what i'm going all the way i'm gonna catch up and then i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in on the chats um thank you so much for listening and for watching i really appreciate it uh thank you for all of the people who aren't watching right now but who will watch this in the future who subscribed um I know there are a lot of people out there who just listen and they don't subscribe. That's, you know, that's fine. Listen, listen at your own leisure. But to the people who subscribed, um, it's been, it's been a mind blower these past couple of months, uh, watching that number go from, it was, I mean, I was at like, I was less than 24, probably the first full year of this. And then it started to pick up a little bit and it has just been, it has been picking up more and more as I go. Uh, and that's an amazing feeling. I, it was even, it was, it's been a little, it, it has been, it has been a joyful experience going through a lot of the comments and seeing how much you guys like the voices, especially there. I've got, I've got a bunch of different artistic pursuits. I've said this in a comment. So if you see it, I'm kind of just copying what I've already said, but I've got a number of different pursuits in the artistic world and what have you. And in this one, I don't know, I don't know exactly what I was expecting. Um, it's hard to get, you know, accurate feedback in the world. Sometimes it's people who you love and maybe they do give you, you know, feedback that you, that's true, but sometimes it's hard to trust it because you know, like they love you. They want you to be encouraged. They don't necessarily, you know, you don't necessarily trust them for the most criticism, <laughs> but I've had almost universally positive response to, uh, to this thing that I've been working on and to uh you know this thing which in in my head i feel like i'm good at and uh, i've gotten you know a couple of people's input on it but to have all kinds of people from all over the place again pretty universally say they enjoy it and they they were responding well to it um and to the things that i'm trying to do like trying to differentiate between characters and trying to to build up in those intense moments i really appreciate it so have a great week. I'm looking forward so much to book five, so much. I'm looking forward to book five. Wonderful people. I will see you next time. Good night.